join me in your Bibles in the book of 1 John and the second chapter. This morning we'll be reading um, verse 18 down to verse 27, but prior to reading the text, I just want to bring a, give a prerequisite or a just kind of a, a notice before I preach. Oftentimes when we deal with uh, passages of Scripture like this, which are very much focused on um, dangers and risks in the world, this text is about the Antichrist and um, the spirit of the Antichrist that we deal with in our culture today. And a lot of times what, what it does is it motivates fear. And what I really want to encourage you this morning is, is that within the text, our goal, my goal, John's goal is not to motivate fear. And there's a lot of religious groups out there that do live off fear. And we don't live off fear, do we? We don't work off fear. We don't serve God off of fear. We serve God because we love him. Uh, we live off of grace today. And uh, as the end of 1 John tells us, if our, if our Christian life is based upon fear, then it's also not based upon love. And so it's important that we understand that as we go through this text this morning and unpack what John is teaching, that we, don't, we not be motivated to fear, although at the same time that we be motivated to vigilance. And uh, being vigilant and being fearful are, are two different things. And as a matter of fact, this week as I was putting this, this sermon together, I started with the title um, of the message being Beware for the Antichrist Has Come. And, uh, and, I, and I was thinking and wrestling through that, and I'm like, you know, that kind of motivates that fear that we're trying to avoid. And so I changed the title, if you're taking notes, I think it's in the top of your bulletin there, to be vigilant, um, because we do have an adversary. There is an enemy, and he, he is out to... Um, accomplish some tasks. And so I really want to, this morning my goal is to kind of un- identify who this enemy is, um, how we can see and know what he's, what he's about, and then give you three things um, by which you can win in this battle against uh, the enemy that is in our world today. So if you'll join with me, um, we'll read in verse 18 down to verse 27. Children, it is the last hour And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, Not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone that anyone should teach you. But as his anointed teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in him. 
The latter verses, the, the verse 28 and 29, we will deal with next week. But what John writes about in, in this passage of Scripture is, is a real enemy. And he is an enemy known in this text as the Antichrist, and, uh, and he has real goals. And, and we need to beware of the fact that we have this enemy who's out to, to wreak havoc on our Christian life, know what his um, goals are, know how to identify what he's doing, and then, and then know how to overcome him. And those are our three, uh, will be our three thoughts this morning as we unpack this portion of Scripture. Prior to doing that, though, let me read a couple of verses to you. Um, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, Be sober-minded and be watchful or vigilant, as some versions say, because you have an adversary, the devil, and he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so Satan is a roaring lion walking about seeking to destroy someone or something. And sometimes we think of Satan's goals as to destroy our lives, to, to bring death, but I, but I think his goals are more diabolical and, and, and more about destroying us in life or destroying that which is good about us. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, or 16, 9, For a wide door and an effective work has been opened to me, but there are many adversaries. And then Psalm 119, verse 157 says, Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not, sir, I do not swerve from your testimonies. So we have these adversaries, these, um, what they, what, what's called here is antichrist, and we want to know how to identify them. How can we know if what we're dealing with is, is a, the antichrist or people who have the spirit of the antichrist, or if it's something that's very innocent and, and, and not associated with the Antichrist, and not, not against Christ. So the, the first thought this morning is, how do we identify these adversaries? And our text gives us a few uh, thoughts, some terms to um, note. The Bible tells us in um, Romans 16 and verse 17, to mark those that cause division amongst you, contrary to the doctrines that we have taught, and avoid them. So we're going to mark them first. We're going to identify those who... Um, are opposed to Christ, opposed to his teaching, opposed to his philosophy. So begin with the name Antichrist. It comes from the Greek word uh, antichristos, so it's definitely um, just a, a transliteration of that term into the English language, and, and it means to be opposed to or to be an adversary of Christ. The Antichrist are those who oppose uh, anything and everything that Christ is trying to promote. So what, tri what Christ is trying to accomplish, if you can imagine it in an, from an athletic perspective, what Christ is trying to accomplish, the, the, the Antichrist is trying to stop or destroy. We're familiar with Matthew 16 where the Bible says that um, the Lord's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the church, the body of Christ is progressing and what, is the, what are the gates meant to do? The gates are meant to keep us out. So the church, the body of Christ, believers are progressing. They are, they are making ground, making, uh, or taking ground for the kingdom and for Christ and, and taking souls for the kingdom and for Christ. And the gates of hell, or Satan and his armies, are working to stop that progress. And this is what the Antichrist and his henchmen or his uh, group of people are doing in our world today. 
The term antichrist is only used by the author John. And in the book of 1 John and 2 John, let me read to you a few texts here. Um, We read already in chapter 2 and verse 18. Chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. You'll notice as well in this uh, verse in chapter 4 and verse 3 that the Antichrist is not uh, only a person. Um, we do look forward to a physical Antichrist who will be on the earth and will be bringing uh, disaster and destructions for, for several years at the end of the age. Um, but what John refers to here is the spirit of the Antichrist. In, in other words, the, the, the philosophy and the focus and the purpose of the Antichrist that is to come is already saturating the world that we live in today. It's, all, it's already here amongst us. The work of the Antichrist is already here, although the person, the Antichrist, is, is still yet to come. Second John, verse 7 The Bible tells us, For many deceivers have gone out into this world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Again, we see this term used to describe those that are opposed to the gospel, opposed to the work of Christ, and opposed to the person of Christ. So we we understand the term a little bit to, uh, again, describe those people, those systems, those religious systems that are opposed to Jesus. And we can think of them, and we're not going to name any this morning, but, but, but yet we can think and understand and know that there are religious systems out there that do their best to minimize the work of Jesus Christ or, or minimize the person of Jesus Christ or in, in some way make Christ less than what the Bible teaches him to be. And these would be antichrists. Even though they're religious systems, it doesn't mean that they're not religious systems pointing to and directing in the wrong direction. Anything or anyone or any system that draws away from the person of Christ is an antichrist. The work of the gospel and the work of the church and the work of the Holy Spirit is not to draw away from Christ, but it is to magnify Christ. Jesus says in John 11, where, where I be lifted up, where Christ is lifted up, where, where Christ is exalted, where Christ is magnified, where Christ is made much of, then I will draw all men to myself. So what is the, what is the devil doing? What is the devil working towards? He's working towards minimizing the work of Christ, minimizing the per- person of Christ, minimizing the effectiveness of Christ and his word. We must be very, very careful today because there are a number of religious systems that would seem to walk hand in hand with us when it comes to a lot of our theology. But when you dig deep and you go down to the root level, what you find is you find a minimizing of Christ. And normally, where you find a minimizing of Christ, you find a maximizing of whom? Of self. It's interesting, if you go to Revelation, you find the mark of the beast, which is, for many people, believe it as being the mark of the Antichrist, and it's the number, is, the Bible says it's the number of man, six, six, and six. 666. 
Many theologians do not believe that the mark of the beast is the number 666, as much as they believe it is three sixes, one after the other. Because the mark of man is six. And what he's saying, in the same way as God is holy, 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 the Antichrist is self, self, self. And all systems that point to belittling or demeaning Christ and his holiness, holiness, holiness are built around a system that's about self, self, self. This is a system of the Antichrist. We know, number two, that he is coming in the future, but he is already here. We, we talked about that already. He is a person and he is a philosophy. He is a person and he is a philosophy. Several things that we read in our text, and I'm going to just run through a, a quick list here. If you're taking notes, you can put these down. The Antichrist is about minimizing or denying these characteristics of Christ. Number one, his divinity, his divine nature. The fact that Jesus Christ was 100% God. Jesus says in, in John 14, I believe it is, he says, if you have seen the Father... You have seen me, or if you've seen me, get that right. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father, amen? amen? Jesus is saying, Jesus says in John chapter number 10, I and my Father are, are one. If you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. We are one and the same. So any religious group or any systems that minimizes the equality between God the Father and God the Son is the anti-Christian system. It is working to diminish Christ and his deity and his divinity. And we must be very careful about, about this. Matter of fact, 2 John tells us if, if anybody brings to us any doctrine that is not of Christ and, 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 and what's in the word, we should not welcome them to our house, not have anything to do with them, really. It's pretty serious. He, they, they deny or minimize the divinity of Christ. They deny or minimize the humanity of Christ. The fact that not only was Christ fully God, but Christ was also fully man. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number four, everything that we suffer, every temptation that we deal with, everything that we wrestle with in life, Jesus Christ has experienced it. Listen, there's nothing that you go through in life, there's no heartache, there's no pain that you experience that Jesus Christ did not also experience. This is what makes him a worthy high priest. This is what makes it possible for him to bring salvation and help to a hurting people. You know, none of us like when people come and counsel us who have not been in our shoes, right? That's the last thing we want to hear, we want to know. And sometimes we look at God's word as somebody who is counseling us or trying to help us who's never been in our shoes. The Bible says Jesus has been in your shoes. He has suffered in every way as you suffered. So we must not minimize the deity of Christ, the divinity of Christ, nor can we minimize the fact that Jesus Christ was 100% man. When he hung on that cross, when he felt the cat of nine tails and the crown of thorns upon his head, when his beard was ripped literally from his face, all of those things, he felt that pain as if you would, in the same way that you would feel that pain. When he cried in the garden, Lord, if it's possible that this cup can pass from me, let it be so. He felt the same pain that we feel. 
When he sweat in, in his prayer because he knew the intensity of what he was about to take, he sweat as were great drops of blood because of what was getting ready to take place. He felt that in the same way that we feel that. We must never minimize the humanity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is necessary for our salvation. It is necessary for our hope. The perfection of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many false teachings on the death of Christ and his resurrection. Both are necessary for our salvation. Hence the reason why Satan is attacking these areas the inspiration of Scripture, the fact that Jesus Christ revealed himself to us in this day and age through his word, and that when you open up the word of God, that you are reading the very words of Christ, and that it is inspired, and it is perfect, and it is infallible, and it is inerrant, and it is good, and it is profitable, right? The theologies that teach us that the word of God is not true and accurate and infallible are anti-Christ. In the beginning was the Word. And what is he talking about there? Christ. He has given us himself in this book so that we can see and know him and follow him and and submit to him and enjoy him. He has given us himself. And the devil has said, the book is is fallible. It's, It's got errors and it's wrong. And beginning slowly to undermine the very foundation by which we build our Christian life. Salvation by grace through faith. Everything for the glory of God. These are areas in which these false teachers, these philosophies come about. 2 Peter 2 verse 1 through 3. The Bible says false prophets have arisen among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep." The enemy... The enemy is opposed to Christ. Listen, the enemy is not opposed to you. Matter of fact, the enemy will lift you up and exalt you as much as it can so that it can minimize Christ. We need Jesus this morning. We need Jesus Christ to to save us. We need Jesus Christ to secure us. We need Jesus Christ to wake us up tomorrow and give us faith. We need Jesus. The Antichrist will seek to destroy and minimize the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. You'll notice as well in our text, the Bible says that these Antichrists, they, they, they left us, meaning they, they, they went out from us. And the idea of it is, is that they left the faith. And, 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 and the Antichrist or the Antichrist is, will, will do that. They'll be in and out of the faith. In, in other words, they'll kind of come and go. And their goal is in coming is not to, to grow and to learn in the doctrines of Christ, but their goal is to come and to manipulate and to undermine and to draw people away with them. Does that make sense? 
And the Bible talks about that in the book of Galatians, that when, the Lord, when, Paul, was teaching, when Paul was teaching about the doctrine of grace, that there were, there were secret disciples, uh, false prophets who came in secretly and tried to undermine the teachings of grace and draw people back into the, into the law. Be careful of people who are in and out trying to draw people going from this religious group to this religious group to this religious teaching to this religious teaching. Be very careful. They're obviously not grounded themselves. Very quickly, they're lawless. They live with a lawless lifestyle. Matter of fact, let me say this to you. One of the, one of the, one of the proponents one of the great proponents of the Antichrist system is that they offer you what? They offer you freedom. They offer you freedom. Who is able to give us freedom? Only Christ is able to give us freedom. But what the world is going to tell us is the same thing that Satan told Eve in the garden. That by following God, you are in bondage, right? You are in bondage. So, G- so Satan offers Eve in the garden freedom that really wasn't freedom at all. And the Antichrist is offering us freedom that really isn't freedom at all. And, y- and you know what the first step of that is? And encourage you parents with your kids. If, if the Antichrist or the devil has your, you convinced or your kids convinced that being a Christian is a prison, then they're one step away from being set free. And I don't mean that in a good way. Being a Christian is not a prison. Being a Christian is a privilege. And the Antichrist is going to prey on those who see the Christian life as a prison. And it'll offer them lawlessness. And we see that in religious groups today, and in the 60s we saw it really strong with all of these religious systems that came out with these, what they called Free, free living, basically, right? It's how they work. Selfish, self-righteous, and self-sufficient. Um, powerful, deceptive, and persuasive. I, I want to focus on this for just a moment. Notice what he says here in verse 26. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to, to deceive you. Um, other versions use the word seduce here. I, I, I like that word because I think it goes in line with what's happening in, within the context. Remember, the goal of the Antichrist is to draw people away from loving and following God and to draw them into loving and following something else, right? It's all about who we love. So the way the Antichrist works is he works through this term, this idea of seduction. He seduces us into loving other things other than Christ. He seduces us through a number of different um, tactics and things of that nature. And he uses power. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 through 10, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus Christ will kill with the breath of his mouth and will bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activities of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deceptions for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. Mark that. They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. The Antichrist is going to come with, the Bible says, powerful signs and powerful wonders. Do you know what's interesting about the Antichrist? The Antichrist is going to mimic Christ. 
So if you can study the life of Christ and you can study the, the, the book of Acts, which is the book of Acts is a confirmation of the church. What, what, what the Lord was saying in the book of Acts is this is what is real. Christ is truly the most, Jesus was displaying through all the signs and wonders and miracles, all of these amazing things saying, this is the gospel, this is the real thing. Listen, the apostate church in the book of Revelation, he does, the Antichrist does signs and wonders, but the Bible calls them deceptive signs and wonders. What's he trying to do? He's trying to confirm to that generation that the apostate church is the true church. And listen, folks, if we believe this morning that we're living in the last days, we also have to believe that this apostate church is already functioning amongst us. And if it's not functioning amongst us, it's the spirit of it is. Right? The spirit is already here. And it's going to be powerful. And people are going to be led away into deceptions based upon signs, wonderful uh, wonders, and works. That's why it's very important to understand signs and wonders. Very important to understand signs and wonders. And their, and their placement and their timing and all of that thing is so very important because the Antichrist is going to mimic a lot of it. And we already see it today. And Revelation gives us a clear picture of it. Revelation 13, if you want to look that up in your own time. So we see a little bit about how to identify this Antichrist. What, what is this spirit that's going to be here? And, uh, and how is it going to lead people astray? Number two this morning is the intention of these adversaries. What, what, is, their, what is their intention? What are they trying to do? What are, they, what are they working to accomplish? Okay, three things, very quickly. Number one is their goal is to steal and to kill Right? John 10 and verse 10, the Bible says that the thief cometh not but forth to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, what does the devil want to kill about us? What does the devil want to steal from us? What is it? Remember what Jesus told Peter? Satan desires to have you that he might sift you as wheat, right? But I have prayed for your, I have prayed for your faith that it fail not. What, is Satan, what Satan is trying to steal from us this morning, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I want to go back to the beginning of my message. I said that we should not be what? We should not be afraid, right? Now, re- remember this. If you're a Christian and you're afraid, guess who's winning? Guess who's winning? Satan is winning. Because fear is... The Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind, right? Fear is not what something that we should associate with as Christians. We should associate with power, love, and self-control or sound mind. What Satan is trying to steal from us and destroy in our lives this morning is everything that is good about us. Does that make sense? Let me say it this way. Satan wants to destroy everything that is spiritual about you. If you go to Galatians chapter number five, you'll know this, that Satan is attacking your ability to love. Unconditionally. Satan does not want you to love unconditionally anyone. He doesn't want it to happen. 
Because it reflects on Christ. Satan is attacking your joy this morning. There's someone in your life that Satan is using to try to steal away from you your joy, which is found where? (laughs) Is it? Is our joy found in Christ? If our joy was found in Christ this morning, could Satan ever steal it? I I was talking to someone this week about the gospel and about eternal security, and I was going through the gospel, and I was sharing with them about who is our salvation based upon, and they said, Christ, our salvation is based upon Jesus Christ and what he has done, his death, burial, and resurrection. Our righteousness is not ours, but it is his righteousness. And I said, "So, so if you're saved at some point in time based upon what Jesus Christ has done, right? I was like, what has to happen for you to lose your salvation? If it's all based upon what Jesus Christ has done, what has to happen for us to lose it? And the answer is this. Jesus has to fail. It's comforting, isn't it? It's not about you failing. You've already done that. (laughs) We've succeeded at failing, right? Our Christian life is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And our confidence and our security and our boldness for Christ is not based upon how great we are. It's based upon how great he is. Honestly, folks, there are people who walk in insecurity in their Christian life and they're giving the devil victories. Because when we, I I know this, I, I grew up in, in a very fundamental church, in all my teenage years, I doubted my salvation. I, you know, got saved lots of times, right? And you know what's interesting? When the Lord actually got a hold of my heart, there's one thing that changed in my life, and that was this. I stopped looking at me to determine whether or not I was saved and start looking to Jesus to determine whether or not I was saved. That's it. I haven't, that, that was, I'm old, or that was 20-some years ago. Listen, I'm being honest with you this morning. I haven't doubted my salvation since that moment. And and I'm telling you that I doubted it almost every single day of my life before that. What had to happen? My attention had to go from me to him. If Jesus Christ died for your sins, paid the full price, left none of them unpaid for, right? The devil wants to steal that from you. He wants you to walk in fear. He wants you to walk in insecurity. He wants you to walk in timidity. He wants to take away from us everything that is spiritual and everything that is good. I can almost guarantee you that every one of us sitting here today has battled this week with the temptation to not love as we ought, to not have um, joy as we ought, to not be kind as we ought, to not be peaceful as we ought, to not be patient as we ought. Amen? Anybody in that boat with me? Can we all paddle together? Listen, (laughs) Satan is seeking to beat you. He can't. There can't he. Good. Amen. I'm glad that somebody said that. (laughs) Amen. We're going to get there. All right, he's seeking to steal, kill our faith. Number two, he's seeking to, dis- to seduce us into loving something or someone other than Christ. He uses flattery, he uses eloquence. Matter of fact, most false teachers in our culture today are very, very eloquent. They're very good with their words. 
And their words are persuasive words. Paul said, I did not come to you with persuasive words or eloquence, but I really came to them with just boldness, right? So that they might, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, that they might see that it wasn't the power of Paul, but it was the power of, of Christ. Flattery, eloquence, big lights I put down. They seduce us through our needs, through our desires, and through our pride. We talked about that earlier. Their focus is on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And they're trying to seduce us into loving something more than we love Christ. Or, you know what, let me, let me just say it really honestly with you here. They want us to love something in addition to Christ. Watch what he says in James 4 and verse 4. He says, you adulterous people. What's an adulterous person with an A at the end, at the beginning? Not, the, not an I, right? I've always, my wife always says, honey, I can never tell what you're saying. <laughs> you know how that is, adulterous or adulterous. An adulterous person is somebody who, who commits fornication, right? Who has a, a mate and goes to a different mate, right? He calls them ad- adulterous people, and he says this, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever desires to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's not talking about physical adultery. He's talking about spiritual adultery. Matter of fact, he often called the Jewish people adulterers. The world, the devil, the Antichrist is seeking to seduce you and me. And they have a lot of tools to do it. And then they want to drive us away from the truth, number three. I use the word shove away from the truth just to be illiterate. Or not illiterate. <laughs> Illiterate. Maybe both, I don't know. To take us away from the truth. That's the, devil's, that's the devil's third goal. Now, how do we win? There are three things, very quickly, in our text here. Watch what he says. He says, um, but you have been, verse number uh, 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not have, know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. But the one who denies the Son, the one who does, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. This word abide is used several times in this text, and I want to start with this. In regards, to, in, in regards to winning over this system of thinking, number one is you have to be an abiding person. You have to be an abiding person. What does, the, what does it mean to abide? What's that? It means to stay, doesn't it? The, the word carries the idea of dwelling. It means, it means staying in one place. In other words, if we're, going, if we're going to win over all of this seduction and all of this worldliness and all of this stuff that's going on, going on, seeking to drive us away from the truth and drive us into self, 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 right? Instead of Christ, 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 self, self, self living. So the way that we overcome that is we have to be, I'm going to use the word, stable, Right? We have to be settled. We are, we are a generation that when the wind blows, we blow with it, don't we? The Gospels, Paul talks about that on a number of occasions. Be careful. Ephesians chapter number four, when it talks about the church, he says, so that we're not blown around with every wind of 
One of the reasons why the Lord established the, what I would call the local church is that we're not blown around with every wind of doctrine. We find a local church, we find security, we find stability, if we find a place that we can agree. And we, and we serve there, and we stay there, and we learn there, and we grow there. Paul says in the last days, people will heap to themselves what? Teachers. And that means that I, get, I got 20 different teachers. I can go and find whichever one agrees with me. Right? That's not the, that's the me, me, me church. God has given you a church. You're to grow in that church. You're to learn from your elders. You're to sit underneath their authority. You're to, you're to mature in where God has you. And you will avoid being blown around with every wind of You know the churches that are growing massively today are the churches that have no what? They have no doctrine. And the churches that are splitting down the middle have doctrine. Their people are, believe something, but the problem is, is they're listening to everything that comes their way. They're believers. Everybody in this morning is a believer in something and a, a strong believer, right? But the question is, what are we believing is there unity in what we believe? We must be abiding people, staying people. Ephesians 4.14, so that we are, no longer, we are no longer like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Sounds like the Antichrist goal, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We've got to be stable people. We've got to be set people, you know, set in concrete. You know, and there are times that we have to grow and learn and mature, Right? But man, when every wind blows, we can't be going here and there and thinking this and, th oh, I read this book this week and this book this week, and we're just everywhere theolog theologically. We must be firm in the belief that we have, firm in Christ and who he is. We must be abiding people if we're going to win. Number two, we must be biblical people. John also says here to, to abide in those things that you've known from the beginning. What John is referring to is the things that they had already learned through Scripture and through the teaching of the apostles. Those things that they had already learned, he tells them to abide in those things. We are, remember this, number one, back to my last point, the deceiver works on us being mobile in our, or mobile in our faith, but number two, the deceiver works on us being ignorant in our faith as well. Us not knowing what the Bible says. Us not knowing what God's word says, not spending the time and the energy. We don't have any time anymore, do we? And the next generation is not going to be better at it. They're going to be worse at it. And the next generation after that, until we start making a, until we, until we make a, a U-turn, honestly, with our time and our energies and our efforts, we're going to continue to decline from spending time in God's word and spending time in prayer. 
And all this does is it makes us vulnerable to when the Antichrist comes on the scene and begins to spew, or is already here, and begins to spew things that are just slightly off of what is truth. Just slightly off. But if we don't know what God's, if we're not biblical people, we will be vulnerable to falling prey to those. What are you going to do when somebody comes down and somebody raises somebody else from the dead? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when we see people who are deaf hear again? When we see people who are blind see again? What are we going to do with those things? Is that, that's why the Antichrist is so powerful. The Bible says that he will work signs and wonders under the power of the, the power of the devil. Man, if you're not securing God's word, you'll be motivated to be pursuing those things. We must be biblical people. 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4, And I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myth or endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. In John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If we're gonna win, we have to, number one, be steadfast. We have to, number two, be biblical. What does the Bible say? And number three, we have to be spiritual. He says the difference between those who fail and fall away to those who stay the course is that we have been anointed by the Holy One. Amen? If you're a Christian this morning, you have been anointed by the Holy One. It means that Christ lives in you. His Spirit is inside of you. John 14 through 16 teaches us that his main purpose and his main goal is to teach you what is in this book. Even to the point in this text where it says that you don't even need another man to teach you. You don't even need another man to teach you. Now, he's not minimizing the church. What he's saying is this. The Spirit of God is in you to guide you against these false teachers who are going to lead you astray. Think about it this way. We win by being stable because the devil attacks our instability. We win by being biblical because the devil attacks our ignorance. We win by being spiritual because the devil attacks our flesh. He attacks us in the area of our flesh. If he can get you, Jesus said to Peter, after he said the devil wants to have you, that he might sift you as wheat, right? Jesus says to him, this is the night that he is going to deny Jesus three times, right? Jesus says to him, Peter, your spirit is ready. Anybody know the end of that verse? But your flesh is weak. And man, you see this picture unfolding of Peter's flesh. Right away, the soldiers come in the garden. What does Peter do? 
Yeah, he goes for the head but misses, doesn't he? I don't think Peter was aiming for the ear. Peter immediately moves into the realm of the flesh. And when we enter into the realm of the flesh, we're walking, we're walking on enemy territory. And we will lose if we walk in the flesh. How do we win? We win by walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Romans 8 and verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, right? But they're mighty. They are divine power to destroy strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. That, if we, if we fight the enemy with the flesh, we're fighting the enemy with his own weapons. We must fight in the spirit. And then lastly, as I close with this last verse in 2 Peter. This morning, if you're going to win, there is an antichrist spirit amongst us today. And his goal is to minimize Christ, to maximize self. And he uses seductive ways. He's going to seduce us through our lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. He's going to seduce us through our own fleshly desires, which are not always bad, Okay, remember that the seduction the devil performs is not always to bad things, but it's as we love those things, then they become bad things, right? He's going to seduce us in that way. How do we win? We win by not being movable. We win by being biblical. We win by being spiritual. Second Peter chapter number three. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. We thank you for the folks that you've brought today. We thank you for your word, the richness and the life that is there. We thank you for your warning and your challenge. And I pray that we would not leave here fearful of what the Antichrist wants to accomplish. But Lord, that we would leave here fervent and vigilant to, to, to win, to be victorious over his attacks. For we know, as said in your word, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I pray your blessing on the remainder of our service. Lord God, please be glorified in Christ's name.